goes, hey, kisses, come and sit on, no, don't walk around, Mrs. Kisses, you're sweet, you're a cute little cat, you're the best, she is the best, say something, kisses, say something, kisses, say something, kisses, come on, kisses, meow, 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 all right, well, get rid of her, this is the Healing Club podcast with Bob Morrissey, I've got a guest Russell Simic, returning for the fourth or fifth time. Buddy of mine. Maybe it's more than that. I don't know. He's one of the my oldest friends in comedy. Great, great, uh, you know, witty person. It, uh, it, we, our conversation goes deep, goes hard. Goes deep, goes hard. We have uh, little discussions about where dreams come from, um, whether... Um, our our single i uh, subjectivity is is even uh, an illusion you know we get like philosophical we have um you know like 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 real deep uh content in this one there's it's like thoughtful it's like you're going to learn something like pretty cool you know and we weren't even doing weed or anything we were just just talking about comedy and then talking about our uh our houston 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 looking at some old notes i wrote in a, a notebook about two years ago it says i accept all superlatives thank you thank you i deserve every superlative I, um, I, it's a pleasure to be honored. It's kisses. God damn it. She's just walking around on the keyboard, just picking it, you know, knocking stuff down. She wants me to pay attention to her. Yeah, she wants me to pay attention to her. Kisses. Yeah. All right. All right. Get out of here. Okay. Um. As I was saying, I I I had heard somebody say in a, a a tweet or something about how your uh your failures tell you who you really are, but then you use your successes to build up uh, an idea of yourself of who you think you are. It's like I think I'm this because I succeeded at something, but when I fail at something, I know why. I know who I really am. That's interesting, isn't it? And anyway, um, boy, what, are, uh, yeah, there's got to be something better. Um, what did I, what, what did I write in my diary two years ago? Every life is a miracle, but so is everything else. Everything is a miracle. Everything that's ever happened is a total fucking miracle. Um, and then a... Uh, uh, striving and achieving and being and contributing. That's, that's like a... I drew a little cartoon of somebody striving and achieving and being and, and contributing and just by being. Um, and it says, drink it till you make it. 
that's that's a good okay words to live by drink it till you make it and just keep on keep on keep on brady we talked about the brady bunch i think the brady bunch movie it holds up it's pretty funny anyway from the 90s uh i watched the movie play misty for me last night with uh jessica walter and clint eastwood and jessica walter from arrested development when she was young and She's a total bitch in that movie. She's so she's so uh, awful, and I don't want to be. I was reminded of my very worst self, my clingy, demanding. Um, why don't you love me? Self, my I I my like the guy who's entitled by. You know, and and lonely and suicidal and um, blames everybody for his internal storms and his the pressure of, of, of being so sad is uh, is everybody else's fault and 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 like the the bottled up rage that kind of um, flies out at at, at uh, awkward moments of uh, I'm gonna not like Jessica Walter in that movie she she's like uh she's so scary to watch because there's parts of where, where like you know she'll just she'll think she's being normal but she's really like you know uh blurting out like I'll just just stay the fuck out of my way god damn it or you know she'll say it, she'll say it with such force like get the fuck out of my way god damn it and then it's like you know nobody um in polite society knows how to understand that that type of an outburst and and, and i and i've been thinking about sometimes my comedy my stand-up comedy when it goes wrong what what i would com how shall i compare thee to a bad joke if i do a joke that usually gets a big laugh usually great fun for diverse audiences all ages, young and old alike, they love my joke every time, over and over again, and then I do it, and sometimes, you know, like a joke will just have an expiration date, and it'll just stop working one day, and it's like, I do the joke, tell the story, write the bit, do the punchline, and it's not, it's like, instead of presenting the audience with something that makes them laugh, it's as if I, like, unfolded a severed finger and presented it for the audience's delectation. Look at this severed finger I I cut off of a person and, and nobody laughs when they're looking at a severed bloody finger. They and I don't understand because I'm on stage and I'm like, well this was supposed to be funny and you liked me earlier and why don't you like my gift to you? It's like I'm a cat presenting a dead bird to an audience and uh yeah, it's not the same as stand up. It's uh, I um but uh we got Russell, Russell here, R Russell Simic back on the podcast. As always, excellent guest, funny person. Um we we had a, a a really good time. He he said, he even said this was his favorite one out of all of the ones that we've recorded together. This one's his favorite one. And so let's just get into it, and uh, and I hope you enjoy it. 
My name's Bob Morrissey. This is The Healing Club, and our guest today is Russell Simic. Okay, I just want to test the sound. Testing, testing, sound, testing, one, two, three, testing. Testing, testing, sound, testing. Me is louder. Why is me louder? I traded mics. Testing, testing. One, two, sound, testing, testing, testing. Bob Morrissey. Bob Morrissey. When I... Sp okay, Bob Morrissey. Russell Simic. Russell Simic. Bob... Trying to hit Bob. those lines. <laughs> Trying to pop the lines on the All right. Kisses. Sit on my lap and be done with it. All this uh, seduction is not necessary. <laughs> All this, like... Uh, just do it. I know that's what you want to do. Sit down on my lap. All right. Okay. All right. You're in the way. You're in the way, kisses. You need to stop. You're... Okay. All right. Now she doesn't want to sit there. Okay. Now she just wants to mess around with the keys and the keyboard. And uh, I don't know. You got a cat? I sure do. Mm -hmm. got cat Tendo. Cat Tendo? Mm -hmm. The name of your cat is Tendo? Tendo. Probably named him when he was... Young, so his full name is Nintendo. Yeah, Cat Tendo. I like that's a good name, Cat Tendo. He's got lots of nicknames: Doodoo Paws, Love mm. Cat, Doodoo Paws. That's bad. Yeah, yeah. Doodoo drinks. Mmm. Mmm. Doodoo Paws. Those toe beans get full of uh, shit in the litter box. This is a uh, a real truth. You're gonna. This is the Healing Club podcast. Um, cats have little toe beans. They look like beans. Their mm -hmm. paws look like beans. And when they step in shit, then the little toe tracks leave shit marks that look like little beans. And, um, eh, there must be a word for that. <sighs> um, how was your set tonight, Russell, at Rudyard's? Uh, I guess it was okay. It was, it was good. The, the, um, it was good timing. The crowd, like, filled out. Within like the ten minutes yeah. before I went up. Well, he got sixteen people to sit in the front row for you. Yeah. <laughs> then he had to buy sixteen drinks for everybody. That's right. And they were all settled before I got on stage. I appreciate all uh, that. I'll buy anyone in this room a free drink if you sit in the front row. And then sixteen people walk up and sit in the front row. That sucks. It'd <laughs> be worse if it was happening like, like as I was telling jokes like one by one. Just, oh, ah, yeah. Sitting down. I'm just for drinks. I'm just thinking of having to spend like, what would that be like, a uh, hundred and fifty dollars on shots just to do something to make the show like a tiny bit better when you're guy number fifteen, and uh, like, I'd be like, fuck, that's a poor decision of mine to offer. What did you say? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think it's really gonna cost them one hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. I'm just hypothetically the host who had to pay for every drink that he gave away. Yeah, yeah. And had to give away 16 drinks would be like in some pretty hot soup. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if he had rent due the next day and that was all he had. And then what was his excuse to his wife? Like, he comes home like, I had to buy everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> no! No! <laughs> it was. Um, the front row was empty. Yeah. I want to turn off that um, heater just because it makes noise. Yes. Sorry, one second. Okay, I just had to feed the cat and uh, get, get a drink, get a little water. Yes. You know, turn the heater off for the noise. I'm, uh, uh, 
Yeah, I was telling you, I was reading this book called The Premonition by Michael Lewis about the, the pandemic and the people in public health who responded to it. And, uh, and just about how um, it seemed like a lot of the institutions that uh, everybody works in um, are similar to the things you see in comedy where it's like the pleasers get far. And, and, and like the... Uh, the seventies was the last time at the CDC when somebody who was appointed uh, director of the CDC had gotten there because everybody within the ranks, all of his peers said, this is the guy who deserves to get far. It's like now it's a politicized job. So whoever's elected appoints their new chief and the, they, mm -hmm. their turnover is like every year and a half most of the time. And uh, whereas before it used to be like somebody had that job for like 15 years. And they had like authority because they were like backed by the consensus of scientists and not like the product like like a person put there because Reagan liked him, you know, <laughs> like uh, yeah. and, and and there's like sometimes I see in comedy too people who like get far aren't people who are uh, regarded as funny by anyone, oh, but man. but the people who like know how to game the system and talk to the right person and appeal to, you know, like, like the improv or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like I, isn't it like uh depressing you, you enter like a new world and you, you imagine it would be different, like some yeah. kind of new um, hobby or just where everyone's geared towards the same goal. And then you find out it's just like, like which organization are you part of where, it isn't like that, where the where people aren't politicking. Yeah, and then power and you know how often do you come across, you know what it, what you would call elevating the best or meritocracy or whatever yeah. that is. And then in this situation, they're they're saying like, in order to get to uh, quickly understand the truth in a crisis, like you don't talk to the director of the CDC, you talk to the sixth person down the chain of command in. California or something somebody who's really going to have to implement unpleasant things that aren't like politically motivated or who's just going to only think of like what's the scientifically most rational thing to do and there's there's like there's ways to lose your job by doing the right thing if you're the face <laughs> of the CDC <laughs> but if you're oh, somebody six layers down yeah. then you'll be the one who actually has wisdom and so maybe in comedy, it's like the face of comedy isn't actually the funniest person. It's the people six layers down in the, you know, thick of the scene who are producing. The, you know, but that's probably not true either because, you know, I've got open micers. And San Antonio aren't going to be funnier than Bill Burr. But, <laughs> but like there's some guys you find out like they reach a level that they got to make so much content that they're not even in charge of their own content anymore. And they got like mm -hmm. a whole crew in the back sitting there writing things. Oh. Like, well, Jim was, Gaffigan always wrote his material with his wife. Yeah, I don't think that's the same as I think. Uh, I I sometimes write material with uh, my partner, or he says something funny, and I I use it, I say it, because like I'm talking about him, and I'll yeah. like not just to to speak accurately. I'll say something he said, but also I don't know. Sometimes he says something real funny, and he doesn't go on stage. I do. I'm like, yeah, can I say that? Yeah, but yeah, because yeah, but like um, some writing partners, 
be different than like when it becomes a business. Yeah, but it's a business with the gap against. Like, oh, okay. yeah. yeah. But but I I would love to have it. Ron White had teams of people. Yeah. Right. Like uh, like four or five people just writing things for him like all the time. It's got to be nice when your voice is so just uh, like you know what it is that other people can know what it is. And oh, like put things into your cadence, into your style. Yeah, like, he's the one who still has to get like up that. there and say an hour of material. Yeah, it's like it'd be nice to have some people help you, yeah. like if, if you just want to just do jokes and uh, uh but uh, but I I can't imagine just going up and rehearsing things that other people have written and having a lot of uh, pride in doing that. I I really take a lot of joy in in like something I wrote being good. But yeah. then sometimes I somebody gives me like an idea or like how to like the punchline to a joke and I'm like, well, I'll use it and it's still I produced the uh, the the inspiration for their punchline by by thinking about a joke, and yeah. and so I deserve the credit for how funny that is every time the audience laughs, laughs at the part that they wrote. <laughs> it's it was my idea. They just made it good, and um, yeah, keeping track. Why am I not first place? In every, you know, like, why am I not the best one that everyone thinks is great? I don't know. Yeah, it's give and take, and it's who you feel comfortable with, you know, because sometimes you hear something, and, like, you think it's, oh, yeah, but then, like, the social situation of, like, approaching and putting that out there, some people are insulted by it, you know? Some people, you know, I, I like hearing, well, for the most part, I like hearing people tell me stuff, unless it's, like, my... My wife's mom's boyfriend was over doing a little Christmas thing. I said, some, I said something about comedy. I wish I hadn't. So, oh, my, my life is so funny. I got to tell you every dumb thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, that happens all the time. You come and talk about it. Hmm. So I recognize that. Though. Restaurants, that happened a lot. With the really unfunny people telling you how funny something is that you could use in your act. Saying why? Okay, I'll come see your show. Do my jokes that I just told you. Yeah, and you don't do them, and they get mad, and like it could go either <laughs> way when you when you reveal that. that yeah. Well, I do talk. I, I like saying, "Well, I do talk about you on stage, but I don't say what you say. I just talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you, <laughs> and so I talk about you, and uh, I reveal things you don't want anybody to know. I I, I don't hate anybody. I just hate my upstairs neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Are you all feuding? Oh, uh, no. It's just always hearing him screaming about uh, something. I don't know. He's always, he's always, yeah. he's just an angry person who's uh, dispossessed and uh, needing uh, somebody to listen. Sounds like he's confused and angry, saying mm. stuff about like gay marriage caused the Jews. Or stuff that doesn't make sense. I'll just hear him screaming stuff that's offensive and doesn't make sense. And I'll be like, hey, you're offensive, but you're also, in, you need help. Because you don't make sense. And You think he's getting <laughs> fucked up in doing this? You think he's got Tourette's? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's... Like, can you set your watch to it? Or is it something that just mm, comes in waves? I don't know. Do, do you think people know that you're talking about them? I, I, I think... Uh, or do you think... If you dream about somebody, that they know that you dreamed about them, even from a thousand <laughs> miles away, they haven't talked to you in years and years, but you dream about them. 
are they like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that, what was that? Oh, him. Um, or are you... How, how would you prove it? Like, they'd have to get in touch, or you have to... The universe would have to... Well, if you believe in it very hard, yeah, that's the proof. That's all the proof I need is... Just, just a, just a wish and a dream, is proof enough for me, because I have faith and no, I don't know, I don't know how you can prove. I've, I was just interested in, in like whether, um, like things like uh, simultaneity of ideas, like when, when, when two people invent the same thing, continents away, like, uh, what was it, uh, Spinoza and Newton. Uh, just got real like writing out the rules of calculus at the same time or you know like um yeah some some people have invented crucial things on different continents like have never met each other they came from different backgrounds they just were you know like the 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 more populated our planet becomes the more and the more everybody communicates and the more globalized the whole place is uh, the more often like that happens but they they did it, a study of uh, homework, like the kids. They all go home. They all have the same assignment. But if you wait till later to do your homework, you score better on it. Oh. And then, and then some if you do your have, homework after school, suggest that you wait till everyone sat down and put the energy in thinking about the answers, and then you tap into that part of the collective consciousness, mm. and that like they they birth these ideas. And then it's out there, and it's that communication you're talking about of like people realizing similar things. So if everybody does the reading and then they do a pop quiz, or they just have to write for a page or two about what they read the night before, you just you just I, wait until everyone's. I, you want to be the last person to do your homework because yeah. then all the psychic energy of everyone else who sat and done their homework is is out there for you to tap into. Oh, so they worked out the and problems just, even like like in detention after school, and then because somebody else was that like you're in communication with all the time. Somebody who's wired into your mind right. through they, language. They put energy and they've solved yeah. these things. So when you sit down and solve it, like uh, mystically, it'll already... It, uh, okay, so you do your homework first and then I can do mine because you're smarter than me and you'll figure it out first. And, and you've thought about it. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off those, those thought waves. Everybody always gets the answer at the same time when they're watching Wheel of Fortune. Right. <laughs> I, I think that's... Oh. Right. Or... or or someone gets someone's gets gets it first and they get jittered. Yeah, you know they've got it. Mm. I'm always that first person who knows everything. I'm always at the zeitgeist. I, that's that's what makes me so great. I think. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, I I'm I'm constantly exploring, searching, wanting to tap into things first. Mm. So I've cleared out those areas yeah. that other people are like, oh, solid wall. I'm like, I've been chipping at it for years. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been crawling through this Shawshank prison. Mm -hmm. you know of, of 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 trying to make it in comedy by being clever first mm -hmm. by saying something <laughs> like so great these 11 years are like 11 spoons of uh chipped away concrete is about the the measure of progress i've made <laughs> it's like i've got about a like 10 foot brick wall to get through before i can crawl in the sewer and climb and now you know, like social media, Twitter, everything. Like it's like a whole nother like really fast cycle of the jokes. Mm. Like to me, it seems like at open mics, current event jokes are way less relevant than what it used to be 
because you get it all online already. Like by the time you get to the uh, club, like if there's like if, say something happens that afternoon, but if you go somewhere, like you've already seen like ten or twenty people like give a take on it and like yeah tell jokes about it. And I, I, this is sort of Emily and I were talking about, and, and somebody sent me a meme the other day uh, of uh, it was uh, SpongeBob saying that comedians are modern day philosophers. But then on the other half of the the meme, Squidward says, Ahem, um, comedians have to appeal to people who all have a pretty status quo sensibility. And so a comedian's joke only works if it's like pleasing the people who are safe and sound. like if you're if you're reinforcing things they want to hear, then you're like a. Uh, that like what's the philosophy in that you know <laughs> like if, if you're just like making every like, like like dressing everything up as good when it's bad but i'm i'm one of those people who's like out there and, and i think the world is bad and, <laughs> and i don't think you, know. <laughs> you do have to know what they want to yeah. hear yeah. and then however you want to whatever you want to do with that you know yeah. you want to make them comfortable tell them what they want to hear yeah. or do you want to play off of it do you want to subvert it but you're limited in the depth of your philosophizing because you're trying to say surface things that are only going to make people laugh. And that's like, and that's the people we elevate are the ones who can just like seamlessly do that where you don't feel like their philosophy is being preached to you, but you feel like, oh, that's a, you know, oh, that's a clever point. Or you can just feel it. And it's like, of course that guy doesn't hate women. You know he's funny. <laughs> it's uh, like, there's I've yet to see a funny guy who really hates women. What the you know? I don't know. It's, it's sad sometimes it needs to be said, but sometimes like like you know the joke like with Andy Kaufman the joke was he wasn't supposed to be hitting those women. He yeah. wasn't supposed to be fighting those women. That's a joke. Yeah, yeah. That's the he is then, he is repulsive by design. The uh, the and the Jerry Lawler guy was in on it too, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's yeah. it would be funny to work shit like that out and be like, I'm gonna go on Letterman and I'm gonna fucking spaz out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that was Lawler's life, like week to week. Yeah. I'm gonna go on always, sa- always having an angle, always doing something. Mm. Did did he uh, have an interesting life after Andy Kaufman disappeared? Or died, before, who knows? Before and after Andy Kaufman, he was like the um, king of Memphis. Like, he was, like, this dude, like, got away with crimes because the jury can't convict him because everyone loved Jerry Lawler. Like, mm. just, like, it, it meant something else uh, wrestling in the South in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like, people just, you know, <laughs> you, you'd have these icons, people would know about it. People like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings had devoted fans as well, and I bet there's a big crossover with the early wrestling and the country and yeah. western music. And yeah, uh, Dave Allen Coe used to go do uh, he'd open WCW shows, and that dude is a wrestler. He's David Bowie country music. He's had like six, seven different personas. Keeps recreate recreating himself. David Bowie would have been good introducing wrestling. Like, he, would, like, he would get it. He, he, yeah, he, he would have been like, David Bowie is a wrestler. <laughs> like, they should have wimp wrestling matches with like wimps fighting each other. 
Like people like David Bowie saying, I'm going to crush you. Or I'm going to sneeze on you at the very least. I'm going to, you know, you're going to be very disturbed by Marilyn Manson in the ring with uh, Axl Rose or whatever. There's a wrestler I think you would like. He wrestled um, in Japan. His name is uh, Zack Sabre Jr. And his gimmick is he's like a Corbinite. And he's like really into technical wrestling. So when he cuts promos, he's cutting like British left-wing politics. And then when he's wrestling, it's uh, it's not like big power moves. Like it's like like grabbing hands and bending things and doing like UFC moves. I want to. Um, I I just want to. I'm I'm. I've never watched a wrestling uh, like like. Like, uh, I've, that's, I just, I fell out of, uh, like WrestleMania around 90, stopped watching yeah. wrestling the year of 90, mm-hmm. like so long ago, 32 years ago. I, I was, uh, but I was a big fan of the Bushwhackers and Mr. Perfect and Ravishing Rick Rude and mm-hmm. the, uh, I don't know, Bret Hart and um, the Heartbreakers, and, uh, the mm. Rockers. Remember the Rockers? The rockers. <laughs> the, That's right. Shawn yeah. Michaels. Yeah. And uh, who's the loudmouth from the South? Jimmy Hart. That's right. He he had a, uh, I think it's called like Can't Stop Dancing. He had like a pop hit in like the 50s or the 60s. Oh, really? Yeah. Like he was he was in a group. Maybe it's Keep On Knitting. That was uh, the Brady Bunch. You gotta keep on, keep yeah. on, keep on moving. <laughs> oh man, man that, that, that but movie, something like that. that he movie, had that movie holds up. That Brady Bunch movie, the, the first one. Yeah, yeah. That was a funny movie when good. I saw it. I, I remember liking it. But the uh, all this stuff from so long ago. I just. Uh, I really think about how fast time moves and about how just like uh, three people I know this year have uh, basically committed suicide. Well, like two committed suicide, but Scotty was a little bit, it seemed like a suicide. It was, it was careless at the level of suicide, but um, it's like this stuff seems to happen in uh, waves and it's contagious or like, that's sort of like the, the stuff we were talking about earlier. With like, uh, like people solving the problem first. Well, somebody commits suicide first, then a bunch of people. Okay, this, like this, um, this is real. This is real yeah. too. I, was yeah. reading, I read this book. Um, Robert Caldini, uh, Pers- Persuasion. Mm-hmm. And there's a chapter in there about how if there's like a public suicide of. Uh, say like a pilot in a certain age range, a certain sex, like that increases the amount of air accidents of pilots who fit that same profile. Like when people see someone with the same identity, like going through this, it, it, it pushes them a little closer to, uh, to if they work. Cause like, I don't know, the, the book kind of sur- surmises a lot of decisions we make are based on our identity and there are like ways you can subvert what we think is like a rational thought process. It's talking about like how commercials and advertising and sales techniques use all this stuff. Well, your identity is not your own. Maybe that's the thing where like you think of yourself as a, a discrete, like, like 
D-I-S-C-R-E-T-E person who's like atomized and like independent and like enclosed within a cocoon of your self-consciousness but you're really a, like a fluid vessel that's part of everybody that you know and everything that you watch on tv and mm -hmm. you're 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 when that's, i speak to audiences i'm not just me i'm like that's that's the danger of uh, identity is that and what everyone's afraid of all the time is that mm -hmm. we can rewrite it overnight we can rewrite rewrite it in seconds like that's what sets humans apart from everything else like animals can like communicate with each other and like be like ah oh, there's a lion by the river and voices for that the humans like we could take those abstract things and apply it to ourselves and expand our tribe and be like i'm i am of the turtle tribe i'm of this tribe and then like because we can do that and other animals can't we got like such an advantage Dude. everyone like you didn't have to be genetically linked to work together you could claim a tribe outside of genetic limitations that other animals have it's like it scares people like that we can just <laughs> change our minds all of a sudden all at once but we can preserve our minds with writing and in these conversations on this podcast we can uh our voices can survive our own deaths somewhere on the internet mm -hmm. uh, uh, somebody will Make artificial artificial intelligence out of your your vocal fry, and you'll be reproduced a thousand times over, or however many times over, uh, like infinite times over, right? There's forever and ever. There's a fear if there's you know like it never ends. You get the never ending artificial intelligence that just, locked into algorithm hell. Oh, is it hell if it if you're just a clone cloning yourself forever and it clones? Um, yeah. Well, I guess, I don't know, like when you realize, like, which, are we at the beginning of that process? Are we, how far down are we on that process? Of, yeah. of, uh, how, how much of an echo am I right. as a person? <laughs> how, how only not myself am I <laughs> as me? I don't know. Um, I think I want to record a little bit of a, like a story I wrote and um, it's, it's uh, okay. I, I drew a little pair of people on horseback talking to each other. They're in orange and purple and red and cowboy hats. And I've been, I drew a lot of horses. I got a book on how to draw horses and I, I was um, working through it in my little uh, note-taking uh, drawing diary through the horses it says peach sylvester i guess that's the name of the story it's peach sylvester and above the next page with a, a big horse and a little horse looking both in the same way one purple one blue you look like a regular walt wit Ma, Walt, White, Ma, Witty Man, Walt, Shit Man, Rat, Fuck the Results. Okay, I don't know where that was coming from. Let's let's start the story now. Single 
modern woman with Christ potential looking at her nails in the window of a shop in the corner downtown in France. She has impeccable nails and a hardened spirit. Dark dichotomy of desires and wishes. Unspent credit from sorrows and missteps. Blunders and errors, tops and bottoms. Yours become mine, she wanted. Wanted more from the world than she ever received, just like anyone else, underappreciated. Children at home all splattered, unacquainted with real trials or heartbreak. Everyone who lives here gets money. You get money when you're born, and things happen easily to anyone. Any dream or wish comes true, good or bad. Who you are really only depends on what you want. How can anyone feel sad in this place? Steak dinner every night. Pillows to sleep on. So many pillows. Looking good is sometimes everything. Almost always important. Cold fear of disability haunting every curve. Middle-aged righteousness. Fear motivates everything. No one's immune to the common fear of being ordinary. Buns tighten. Seat gets wet. Feelings all gushy. So horny for that old dick. That old dry pussy has a big dick. And a fair appetite for pushing it in. Seven fingers on each hand. Total control of the entire autocracy. Great at piano. Terrifying villain. This old man has to take a pill every day in order to keep from killing anyone else. He's got a young lover and a bad heart. Total creep. Kinda convenient. Supper for the children is a total blur. Everyone's drunk at the table, and old memories cause great hurt. The heartbroken surrender to an unstoppable erotic enigma in the freight train at night with all the boxes of products fucking on top of a train with a train full of dirty vagabonds and refugees. Everyday suicide alerts and hospitalization centers for tired people. Give me everything I want and I will die. Humor is a closed book and a found object. A crate and barrel employee flak jacket. There used to be a lot of explosions at that store after that weird guy started working. Sipping brandy in the corner with his evil plans and pitiful dreams. Talk about conceited. France. Every story changes when people take sides. What you think of some history depends on who provided all the details and exposition, who alarmed the reticular activating system that processes all thought. Whatever you go to to explain, when you explain what happened to you, whatever that is, 
the reticular activating system that Billy D. Washington was talking about during his stand-up. The fact that it happened isn't the thing. It is it something that happened. It isn't the thing that happened anymore after it's happened to you and you've processed it. That's the reticular thing. Some puffed-out rumor of science. No technology tells the truth. Walk every day toward the death you deserve. Make peace with Christ. Lead with compassion, consistency, integrity, and power. Hungry people deserve less. No one's counting anyway. This is what you want. Let's get this bread. Now, I don't know what kind of story that is, but it is something I wrote. And I don't know what the lady in France looking at her nails has to do with people at the dinner table on drugs with the family and something about the reticular activation system Billy D. Washington was talking about during a stand-up act at the comedy festival two months ago. Whatever. I just hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was funny. I, let's, let's get back to the podcast. Two people talking. That was just my inner dream diary. Bob Morrissey monologues. Always something. Let's get back to the podcast with Russell Simic. Man, I just watched, uh, it was your last week, I watched True Detective Season 2. Oh. And I was, I was enjoying that. I was enjoying it. Like, season one's so great, but if you, if you haven't seen, just watch Season 2 Season first. 2 has uh, Vince Vaughn. It's Vince Vaughn. It's Colin Farrell. Mm. Um, Colin Farrell's great. Rachel uh, McAdams. I loved uh, Colin Farrell in The Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster and The Banshees of Inisherin. Several other movies. Colin Farrell's proven himself to me. In, in this one, like, <laughs> I, it's like about halfway through the season, he gets sober. And so. Like his his delivery changes. Like he was better at doing his uh his character when he was fucked up most of the time, but when he got sober, like there's some moments it's like a little Billy Ray Cyrus, but who's also a good actor. Did you ever see Mulholland Drive? Yeah, he's in that. Yeah, he's the dude fucking um what's his name's wife, you know the the guy who the screenwriter who gets fired and then kicked out of his own house when his wife is fucking some. Dude who's like twice his size, he's like, Get out of here. No, you lost. Beat it, man. I'm fucking her now. Get out of here. No, this isn't your house anymore. All right, see ya. All right, fuck you. All right, I know this is hard, but you're gone. And then, like, uh, that I would do that in a movie, but I'm sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> I'm like a runaway train of dumb thought. I'm sorry I ruined it by re- recollecting a movie. Uh, you were talking about Colin Farrell. Yeah, him and I guess him and Vince Vaughn are like you the, watch the two main characters. True Detective, that, and yeah. they're the ones that they're like pumping all the philosophy through, and all mm-hmm. the vibe. Like the first one, like Southern Gothic. There's like a supernatural just thing behind, like unknown, but not really supernatural. But it's like it, it makes you feel that there's something dangerous. But this one, everything's fake. Like every mm-hmm. character is fake. And what they say to be, they're not that. The city it takes place in isn't a real city. It's just like a industrial park, tax shelter, mm. like conglomerate. 
and uh, it's not even <laughs> it's not even a real detective story. It's just everything is fake, 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 and it's all the characters, and they're like, that's the that's the vibe, like that's the horror uh, of it. Is they're trapped in this fake world, and that some of them know it, and then they're always driving it home. Like Colin Farrell's like in the beginning, it's like oh, I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, but can't be an astronaut to go to the moon anymore. Or she's smoking an e-cig, and someone's like, well, I, I guess a fake cigarette. Why don't you smoke a real cigarette? I always wanted to make a show about a bisexual detective who solves the crime by fucking people. <laughs> Whatever gender. I'll get to the bottom of it by fucking the most uh, relevant person. Uh, whether whether it be like female, male, or something else. Yeah, I like, can do anything. I'm omni. Pansexual. Is that bisexual? So bisexuals don't fuck trans people or something? Is that what the limitation is if you're bisexual? Or would you just fuck anything? I guess bi is like two, so then those are limiting your choices. Yeah. That way. So I'm I think that's hateful and I'm against bi people. (laughs) (laughs) Um Taylor Kirsch is in there. And like in the beginning, he's presented as like this good-looking, like sexual dynamo fuckboy. But then you get into it, and he's not like well, he's but he's not like he's secretly gay. Oh. So, but he he gets in trouble because this lady says that he forced a blowjob. But then later, like because it's fake, like he's like he's like a fake romantic lead of the series. From like, like the way things are presented when they first show you this, and then it's, it all unravels. I just read this book called uh, um, "The Dispossessed" by Ursula K. Le Guin, and uh, it's this man from one planet's moon that was like a uh, breakaway colony that was supposedly a happy place because the moon society is akin to communism in the soviet union and uh the society back home is like like uh close off and everybody in the uh anaris and ananaris or something I, i forget the names of the planets in the moon but they're similar names in the but the person who's like the top leading scientist of the Soviet Union place who um, needs to save his society by opening up some communication with the home uh, planet so that like they don't starve forever on this moon. And so, but like he has to deliver his, uh, his like, uh, like the, 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 the home planet is like capitalism. Yeah. And, um, everything that he thinks is original to himself is, uh, you know, cons- like when it's sold, it loses some of, you know, like, like some of its relevance to people at the bottom who are like, okay, yeah, you figured out the problem. But like, and he's held up as like this, uh, he's kind of a buffoon. He doesn't really serve any real, he's like a lackey in a bureaucracy once he gets to home and he's not saving anything and, and he realizes he's not special and, and uh, like, and then anybody could do what he did and yeah. solve his yeah, you know, and and then the same person 
is several different ages, but it's all in a timeline that happens in a linear story. He is one minute, 20, the next chapter, 30, back to 20, but in the same thing, you know, like, it, it, it's, it's little, like, it fucks with your mind Yeah. by, you know, how he, like, uh, has a discontinuity of his identity, as you were saying, like yeah. is scrambled yeah. once he's on another planet and, uh, are like really, really confusing things happen in that book. And I, I, I don't, like, um, um, <laughs> but I like yeah. stuff like that. Like, is that, that, that's sort of what the true detective thing. The, like, yeah. Cause there's so much, uh, art and like a lot of television and movies seems recently centered around trauma and the characters trying to confront it or recreating it and getting stuck in that cycle. And so this one, like eventually it, it did reach that point and they both have different philosophies about it. Yeah. Like the uh, Vince Wong guys, like when it, when these moments hit, you have a chance to, um, to like, just like rewrite it, like create a new identity and take it and, uh, and move forward with that. and. Colin Farrell is not quite vibing that. I wonder if if what you think is your whole world is just a fragment of what the real world actually is, but to you it's the whole world because it's what you think and it's what you tell yourself. It's the narrative you've devised and the person you think you are is only within this circle that you consider all that is important and who is appropriate and uh, the kinds of things that you like or whatever. You create your bubble. But you think it's the whole world, but you're unable to, you know, uh, like, like there's stuff that's just hard to understand because it's so big mm -hmm. and, and the number and, and like the, like the, how long it would take, like how much money you would have to spend or how you, how could somebody possibly spend a trillion dollars in one day? <laughs> like uh what would they spend it on how would that happen like you can't imagine like like spending it all in a store like there's no or like so how does anybody amass a trillion dollars and how do you picture a trillion dollars in terms of like money in your head right <laughs> like how, how do you picture it you try to like do you see visual representations of the money or does it come and just like, I mean, that's, uh, that's like, it's like a, it's more of a, just all enveloping power statement. Mm. What's that, uh, SNL fake commercial for, um, like a new, uh, brand cereal. It's like, that has more fiber than any cereal ever invented. And, uh, and like, uh, how many bowls of colon blow yeah, colon would blow. you have to eat <laughs> in order to, or like, you know, or how many, like, how many bowls of ordinary brand cereal would you have to eat to match one bowl of colon blow? And it's like 50,000 bowls of cereal. <laughs> like, he's, like the visual representation is him sitting on top of a, right. like the, top. yeah, the whole, like, like, that's what a trillion dollars is to me. It's like, uh, a house of uh, I don't know, colon blow cereal. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Man, when I was in like fourth and fifth, sixth grade, like I wasn't watching Saturday Night Live a whole lot. Maybe sixth grade sometimes go over to a friend's house. 
but I check out all these books from the library. So I had like, like I knew all the skits, all the characters. Like they would like reprint the the uh, the sketches like in this book. Cause I think it was the twentieth or twenty fifth anniversary book. I, I read so much about it, and then I finally started watching it. And it's like MTV, like like every, like when someone goes, oh, when they used to play videos. Like you know, you're getting older when you when you say, oh well, when it was the other cast or when it when it used to be funny. Yeah, everybody like, likes the cast that was um, their high school years or or mm-hmm. around like or you know, thirteen to twenty one, maybe like until like but or but I like the cast from the like eighty six to ninety four. It was my favorite era. Or maybe 97. I, I like Will Ferrell, too. So, I don't Charlie, know. Charlie Rocket. Yeah. And, uh, and Robert Downey Jr. But when... No, I'm, I'm thinking the, the year when um, Dana Carvey joined the show and it was, like, oh, okay. the smallest cast they ever had was... It was, like, Dana Carvey, Victoria Jackson, Nora Dunn, Jan Hooks, Kevin Nealon, um, Dennis Miller, John Lovitz. Yeah. Uh... Like when I first started watching, it was the those those folks were on the way out, and then I don't, I don't know when the Will Ferrell maybe that's ninety six or something, but it was like it was like the end of that era. Yeah, they're all going David Spade and Chris Farley and Adam Sandler are going to go do movies. I kind of like that one year that was overstuffed with uh with people who were on it only on it for one year, like uh, Michael McKeon and Janine Garofalo and Chris Elliott and Mark McKinney and like. All these people who didn't last that long, but were really funny, right? Like, or uh, oh, I wish I, I I know two people who made it onto Saturday Night Live, or I I known of them, or I've done shows with them, yeah, uh, and they would be like, "Oh, hey, Bob," if they saw me. So, but like, not like, like, like not in closed terms by any means. But yeah. but it's like uh, I I I used to have dreams about being on Saturday Night Live when I was like ten, and I remember like walking my dog and just like you know in the morning one time like when I just woke up to go walk my dog and I was still in the reality of me being on Saturday Night Live when I was walking my dog in high school, <laughs> and, and then like I woke up during my the well in the process of walking my dog and I was like ah oh, fuck I'm not famous. Like, I thought I was famous for, like, 10 minutes in the morning like when I was 14. Damn. <laughs> like, um, I had one of those. A groggy those. state. Like I, was, um, like, I was actually dating my crush. Uh, in the dream, I woke up. I think I was, like, almost done with my shower in the morning. I was like, oh, wait. That was a dream. That's not real. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sometimes dreams, uh, you're glad they're not real. Sometimes you... Uh, I don't know what it's a. It's like Garth said. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Mm. Some. Because I guess I guess he see, he goes to a, a football game and he sees this girl he won the fuck in high school and she looked a little more ratty, and then the, um, the girl he was with and then was, yeah. and he sings that song. Sometimes I thank God. That was Garth Brooks. Yeah, sings that. Okay, I thought. <laughs> I'm not too deep in the Garth Brooks, uh, but. Uh, I like uh, I like Dwight Yoakam, but I'm not that deep. I mean, I love Dwight Yoakam, but I, but I'm not I'm not the Dwight Yoakam. I'm not the expert. All right. I've been, I've been um, enjoying the Dwight yeah. Yoakam Christmas album all month. Oh really? Yeah. It's, it's a Christmas album. It's fun. Uh, all, all, all the sounds, 
some of the blues, some of the, uh, the Bakersfield sound, just some of the straight up 90s country. Yeah, I like that uh, Blame It On Your Heart song. Who's the woman who sings that? Like, uh, oh, blame it on your lying, cheating, no oh, yeah. good, double dealing, mean, mistreating, loving hard. I think I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Is that was is that like a Linda Ronstadt song that uh, like originally? Because in the '90s, for a while, they were going back and taking like a lot of her stuff and giving it to other artists and like reselling it. It might be. I don't know, Linda Linda Ronstadt. It seems like her type of uh, line. <laughs> it's a it's a real good stab line. It's a real good. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know who didn't? Uh, yeah. Why do I still like the Smashing Pumpkins, Russell? Those are good. Okay, but am I 15 that way still on the inside? Is that, that, that doesn't seem to match like who I am or who I ever was. How with this Now that! I would not talk to that guy. <laughs> if he was in my life, I'd be like, Man, uh, shut up, Billy. Well, uh, it's been, even when he was famous. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I see that dude all the time because, like, he's he's in, he's trying to do like a wrestling thing. He's trying to he bought a promotion, mm. and he's trying to run that. So I'll see him cutting promos and. Today, my, my, was, algor- my algorithm yeah. knows I like that stuff, so he sends it to me. Yeah. Today was such a great song when it came out when I was in seventh grade. Or eighth grade, it was seventh grade. I think today came out. That was yeah. that was like one of my favorite songs. And that that album, everybody's like that Siamese dream, like that crushed amongst the twelve year olds. That was like a, that was like a, we all agree that's great. Like everybody liked Nirvana, and then they liked uh, Smashing Pumpkins shortly afterward. Yeah, I still listen to Weezer. Never really stopped. Yeah, I, I totally stopped listening to Weezer. I only listened to the one album. I never listened to Pinkerton. Yeah. And then everything else I thought was like unlistenable, like the uh, Beverly Hills. Uh, anything after that. And then the, I never liked uh, Hip, Hip, that song. <laughs> I never liked that oh, one. Man, that, was, that was so exciting. Cause it was like, there was like such a gap between oh. Pinkerton and that. And that was like, I mean, like senior year. Put that out. After thinking there would never be any other music, mm. there's some artists where I just I just appreciate like their songwriting style, and just hearing what they're coming up with. Like, you know, I like reading about how he's like a weirdo, and he has all these Rivers Cuomo. Yeah, right. Like he he always wants, you know, whether he really is or he's just trying to like recreate that little Brian Wilson. Oh, uh, well, schizophrenic he's... autism thing. Yeah, what's the line between? Um... Trying hard to look weird and just being annoying. <laughs> like, I think he, I, I, didn't he go to Harvard or something? He like, they did their two albums and then he's like, well, I never got educated. So now that I have money and I'm famous, I'll go to Harvard because yeah. they have to let me in and I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll go to the classes and, uh, and I'll, and I'll do it and then I'll come out and my music will suck. Is, <laughs> I thought that's what happened. I thought he's like, I went to Harvard to make all my music bad. But maybe it scrambled his mind and turned him muddy or something. And maybe I'm just being mean. Maybe I just don't appreciate the uh, 
don't know, maladroit. <laughs> or what is it? Yeah. I just, I just like, I like Power Pop. I like how like almost everything they do is some variation of that. I like it when they put out albums where like they're trying to get a top forty hit. But like the uh, when they they put out albums where they're like, oh, we're gonna add a little, didn't the, know, some some metal solos in this one. The Blue album was produced by Rick Ocasek, wasn't it? Yeah, he did. He did multiple albums with them, but yeah, totally. And that that uh, you could you could hear Rick Ocasek on the Blue album. That's the one I. That's the only one I really listened to at the time. And then that one, the bass player, he would he contributed a lot more on on that first album. Matt Sharp, and then he went off and um, did the Rentals. I love that first Rentals album. Oh yeah, it's all like the mood synthesizer, heavy electronic drums, um, some violins, and then the Hayden sisters doing lots of uh, backing vocals. Like it's a vibe. It's like a Gary Newman power pop. I dig that. And then the second album was all like, he went to Europe. He's like, I'm going to make, the, I'm going to recreate the Europe pop scene in an album. Hmm. He's doing it. I like that dude. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm into, uh, I mean, I, I used to take such pride in listening to the coolest music any cool guy would curate for his cool guy Spotify. And <laughs> now I, I've, I don't think my music's that cool. I realized that when I started uh, having to DJ music for a job, was like uh, my taste is uh, not everyone's taste, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be. It's, but it's not, you it's know, still, it's so hard. Because it's, it's, yeah. like, it, it's like we're talking about earlier with jokes. It's like there's like a musical collective consciousness. Yeah. And like people have an expectation that they're out in public, man. They want to hear stuff they've heard twenty times already. They don't. They don't want to. Yeah, like unless they're going specifically to seek new sounds, I think a lot of people want that comforting thing they've heard before. They know how to react to. So, like, I'd like to make a cool playlist, but you know, you got to sit with it for a while because when you hear some of the stuff the first time, you're like, I don't know, yeah. and then you know, you're making up your mind. You know, I don't. I don't think the world can ever let go of Chris Brown. <laughs> He's too, you know, he's too everywhere. You can't get, you can't like not listen to Chris Brown. Like, but I, I, I'm pretty easy. Like at the uh, show I did the other day, uh, Nitra, 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 that she, yeah. she likes to say, she, she likes to be introduced as Nitra, Nitra, Nitra. And she's like, I'm Nitra, Nitra, Nitra. I, 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 I say it three times and I come. <laughs> I came to the stage, didn't I? <laughs> and uh it's, you get it uh <laughs> like, but uh yeah she's funny uh she, i was talking about like um you know, my familiarity with uh jeremiah and j cole and other other uh things from five years ago and, and so then when she was hosting i got off stage and she brings up like a uh r kelly lyric that i didn't remember i've never listened to and never got into r kelly but something about like something rising where where the 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 lyric was a metaphor for r kelly's boner mm -hmm. but i didn't recognize the song and so i looked like a doofus like not getting the <laughs> um reference and i felt stupid when she like i i had a good set and then she's like now wait a wait wait a minute like uh let me let me throw something at you that you like like you, you won't get and then 
now, uh, then I'll move on to the next comic after I've humiliated you. Or I don't think she meant to humiliate me, but it felt that uh, I felt like it deterred, it, 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 like cut me down a that's, peg. That's the and most I'm, equivalent of a boomer like uh, coming out for their rock shirt. Oh, Name three songs. <laughs> but I'm like, do I have to be conversant in R. Kelly lyrics in order to get the point across of my joke or whatever? I don't. I'm R. Kelly's t- great, talented, but terrible person. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Chris Brown's yeah. abusive, whatever. I yeah. I don't I wouldn't date him. That's, um Yeah, that's the oh man. So I had the the Donda album and he was when they first put it out. The he, Kanye album, yeah, Donda. Donda. Okay, yeah. When they first put that out, he was on there, he was singing like the hook on one of the songs, and then like a week later, they pulled it. But I had it downloaded, so I still had that version. Mm. And then like a month later they, they took my downloaded one off of of Apple, and so I, did, and the other version was Kanye singing. I didn't like him singing. I didn't like that version as much. And then finally they came back and they released it again with all the versions of all the pulled stuff. It's just weird. I don't know. I don't like that. They're just taking taking the version I like away. Uh, but yeah, you gotta. So I watched uh, Whiplash. Hey, I'm getting a call from Greg Deal. I'm sorry, he's in Malaysia right now. Hey, Greg. I'm good. I'm recording a podcast with Russell Simic. Hey, Greg. He's in Borneo. And um, I'll call you in a couple minutes. Uh, I missed you on the Santa show. Oh, yeah, the Santa show went real well. Yeah, the, uh, the sad Santa every year at Rudyard's for the podcast listeners. Well, I'm sorry, what's that? Oh, yeah. Andy dressed up as Mrs. Claus. My boyfriend, Andy, uh, dressed up in a Mrs. Claus outfit, and I was wearing a Santa costume when I hosted, and uh, Andy just sat in the audience. I'm trying to uh, have a dual conversation here. Uh, Can I call you in a minute, or are you... Oh, okay. All right. I'll see you later, Greg. Have fun. All right. Bye. Oh, I feel bad. I I um, I wanted to answer the phone because I, I knew he wouldn't have service and so. But yeah. yeah, Greg's my friend. He went to Malaysia. Yeah, Borneo. I can't even t- name which uh, country that's in. I guess it's Malaysia because that's where he said he was going. But am I right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'd have to check my phone. I'm stupid. I don't. Uh, I don't have geography. Uh, I've never been to Asia. I would love to go to Asia. Never been. I bet it would change my world. Yeah. Do you think it would change your whole life if you went to Asia? Do you think you would see anything the same way? No, I think I think any kind of culture shock is an opportunity for yeah. to reassess and to grow and just perspective. So, are you attached to yourself as you in your place in Texas, and you're like, yeah. I could never go to Asia because then I would have to leave this behind. Or do you want to like shed? I mean, I don't like. I wouldn't like limit where I would visit. Uh, but, but to like, live like a permanent yeah. thing. I mean, that's that's a commitment yeah. to go and be, you know, an outsider, or a stranger, in a in a different place. Yeah, as like, much. That's, that's really a commitment. I will say this for all of you people who think I'm some kind of an America hater. As much as I hate this place, I 
can't live anywhere else because I'm only functionally dysfunctional here. And this is the only place where I can survive because I figured out a little plan for this place only. Although I don't doubt that life would be better in other places. I mean, think of all the the rules that we've spent a lifetime acquiring just uh just like social stuff idioms history that you'd have to like reprogram yourself with to have like the full context of of a, another place you know you can go somewhere and work and you know make money but like to actually like live and like be part of it that's like like it's a whole another life that you have to like acquire all these experiences mm. My brain's not big enough to really accommodate all that. I don't think I'm smart enough at this point. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and see if that works. You would lose, you would lose <laughs> so much communication. Like, even if you know, like, language, wherever you're going, 100%. Like, there's still, like, the little subtle things. Yeah. Like, uh, like just uh, watching uh, my kids, like, learn stuff and acquire these things. Like, there's just, there's so much that has to be process explain yeah just like the context of all these books all these sayings all these historical references uh so it's so interesting like all the codes and symbols you have to decipher just trying to like you never know the whole story just like scientists can never complete the whole fossil record you have to yeah or like you have to complete the you know gaps by you know making inferences and like how much of it is like sass directed for the people in the moment like like in jokes like they're gonna get and how much of it is relevant to what we're trying to find out about the past ah i uh you know i i was thinking of uh of a like of a concept for a joke, but it reminded me too much of a an old Saturday Night Live sketch. But uh, I was thinking of um, everybody in our society being so sex positive that they have like uh, like a BDSM news service, and like somebody working for BDSM news who's like wearing like uh, bondage gear and asking questions to people like, okay, Bob Morrissey from BDSM news. Let me ask you, are there worms in my brain from making out with my cat or eating her vagina? And you answer the question. I don't know what this press conference would be, but I'm sorry. That's terrible. I just, I was, I was melding two things that I thought would be funny. Like, do I have worms in my brain from making out with my cat or eating her vagina? And I was like, who would ask that question? Maybe the reporter from BDSM News would ask somebody like why he has these worms in his brain and i don't know what that was but that sounded a little bit like high times magazine special report from high times <laughs> magazine on the case and they always forget what they're doing because they're so high and uh yeah. and, like because of ai like hmm. we're gonna be able to like someone you can live a life where you process all your information through a filter of whatever your kink is like huh. Like, it wouldn't just be, like, you're talking about the BDS, BDS whatever, the news, like mm -hmm. that. It would be, like, every, like you could program, like, every interface to have that aesthetic as you as you interact with it. Uh, like it I, 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 I was just thinking about uh, how I would never want to be in bondage gear in front of the public. I, how I, I don't think they need to see that. I don't think the, I, I think, like, 
my best gay self, like to give somebody the full gay treatment, you know, like to be like the idealized gay that I like my closest match to that was maybe age like 25. <laughs> but at 43, I don't want to be in bondage gear, at least on television anywhere. Or, yeah. You know, but uh, to have really like hit my uh, peak of inspiration and peak of uh, physical, uh, you know, like, like visit like like to be like most pleasingly visible physically at age 25 as opposed to uh like how do you market yourself because half of comedy is what you look like i think or maybe some so much of comedy is what you look like not just like and it doesn't matter what you look like as long as you cultivate a look or you have that look and it's not like you roseanne had a look you know she wasn't in good shape Sometimes but it like, can be how congruent your outlook, your out, your look you're pushing out is with the character you have. Yeah. So, like, if you look like what they expect, like to hear, like that can like amplify, like can amplify your comedy. Or you can, you know, some people can take a look and just you know make it, make it their own thing. I remember Tracy Morgan once said. It's like, man, like the only reason like I'm here on SNL and up here doing these jokes is like I got this little extra wrinkle of skin on my forehead. And like it just looks like I'm thinking about <laughs> that, like like you know, like you just yeah, and it's just it's just funny. It amplifies Because I can make that first or whatever. I can't do Tracy Morgan, it would be it would be awful if I tried. But uh like but I, I see what you're saying. Like Tracy was on that show for like it was a joke that he had the wrinkle on his forehead. I'm just, sure he would have made the show anyway. But it added, it, it added but yeah. something. Like it just because you want to. It just adds another layer of the comedy, or makes a funnier face when he's reacting to his own thoughts yeah. or what he said out loud. I'm like, Brian Fallows or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, that or, was the like, fun. That was my favorite thing he ever did was the Brian Fallows. Will Ferrell, you uh, know, this that stare, that blank thing you can do. You know that goes or hmm. like uh, Sarah Silverman, like an archetype of little sister, and so she like. Almost everything she does like plays off that mm. in some way, and we just and she fits that role so well that that's what she does. She's born into. It. Some people would just just tap into it and they got it. Yeah. What was I gonna close the episode on? I don't know. What do you want to close the episode on? Oof. I I my boyfriend was saying that I'm good at stand up, and well, he said like, and I asked him about my stand up, and he was like, you know, I like. And he was like, uh, you're like just yourself and the audience believes the character because you are trash. He said, because you're, you are trash and it's you yourself. And the audience believes that character because you are trash. And then he went like, uh-huh. Uh, he went, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like he laughed at me. But that's, like, I, I think I, I'm a trashy, believably trashy person. And I'm not ashamed of it. I, I am ashamed of it, but I wish it were different. But you know, I, I can only tell the truth. <laughs> I'm like, and yeah, or just you know, not always necessarily aligned with the character. It could be like an exaggeration, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like the little, the little moments that you chuckle to yourself about. Yeah, and then you exaggerate that character. But I wonder how I move on from that, though. Like, because I think maybe my limitation in comedy is most of my act is like. What a piece of shit I am. What a fucking idiot. You dumb, immoral shit. 
Like, ah, why are you talking? And and like nobody wants to see a headliner who's like, like, God, that guy. You know, I don't know. I have a joke about. I don't. Know. I mean, maybe it's it's a safe way for people, you know, and that's like it's a human thing, it's a legitimate thing. Yeah, you give yeah. people a safe way. I'd to, rather be to a, run that yeah. through themselves. But I don't want to be the hero. I don't want to be like. I've never wanted to be a politician. I did want to be a politician. I could be a politician. I'd be a great politician. I don't know. Would you vote for me, Russell? I mean, it depends what the terms of the office was. Uh, okay, for president. You think I'd be I mean, a good president? Yeah, because like I know you, so I know I'd get like some cool stuff. I get, get the M and M's for sure. You wouldn't be like upset by a lot of the choices I made. I mean, would you? You didn't. Uh, Break. Uh, you know, it was, okay. Let's let's think about this. The end of the podcast. Um, Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was attacked in his home. Eighty years old. Somebody hit him with a hammer, and then uh, the immediate response by Donald Trump Jr. was like, "Was that his lover? Is he gay? Is he?" And then the whole right was like uh, echoing that, like over and over. Oh, it's probably because he's gay. Uh, and then, but everybody hated Pelosi enough for like uh, that to be okay. Well, we'll just we'll just let that go. Like that, that some crazed person like hit this dude with a hammer. But I, but I thought a lot of people wanted to hit him with a hammer because of the insider trading and stuff, and the, <laughs> like the way that you know, like the way that like all, all people in Congress like. Uh, made money off of their knowledge of the pandemic and, you know, invested in uh, things that, you know, took off because of, of uh, you know, but that's, that's no reason to break into somebody's house and hit them in the face with a hammer. I'm nonviolent. I, although like, I think everybody who's rich is a fucking crook and like, like a terrible person and, and deserves to be, hit in the face by somebody but anybody who's like you know super rich is like i shed no tears when well no i do i don't know i wouldn't hurt anybody though like i got real sad when tom petty died i got, I got real sad uh when when david bowie died that was a that was a that yeah. was a hard day yeah um but those are the kinds of rich people i'm like you're you're good but uh other kinds of rich. Uh, what am I talking about? <laughs> Who cares? I was, I was saying like, uh, do you, did you feel bad for Paul Pelosi being got smashed in the face with a hammer by that guy? Well, I, I really didn't feel anything either way. Oh, I, I thought it was interesting because that was like that was the, like the first story after Elon bought Twitter that normally, like, if you had said, you know, spread gossip and rumors about Paul Pelosi. Normally, like, had been nuked, but, like, like $44 million, so, you know, there can be a, a narrative fight going back and forth between, ah. like, what it is, because, like, uh, you know, so the, the right, like, narrative on one side is, like, oh, this is a, a right-winger coming in to attack her because of violence, because words have built up, and the other side rebutes it with, nah, he's, he's into the, uh, to the whatever to the, he's gay yeah the, the, <laughs> he's, the, 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 can, the eyes wide shut yeah the underground sex clubs whatever it is 
Oh, yeah. So, so I just, uh, yeah, it's like. Once dueling, you bring like, those up, then things get even more complicated. Dueling, dueling oh, my narratives. It's like you gotta, you know, you, you turn it on. It's and like, it's, it's gonna tell you to, like, there's no news story that exists that is spread, like, in mass that doesn't have, you know, one angle or the other. Like, the things that don't, that you can't get mad about, or your identity or your teams. Like that doesn't become news. That's just, like we don't talk about stuff like anything that we can't argue tribally over. Uh, like all the, and that's like you know most most, <laughs> most of the important stuff. The news is just something to fight about. It's a show we just get mad about. Oh, you're you I think you're right about that. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Do you think? I think that's a good way to end. Yeah. Good you, yeah. Let's end it on that point. This I is think my favorite, this is my favorite one. You think so? I feel like I brought more energy into this one than some of the other ones. All right, good. All right. Well, I uh, I, I love having you here on the podcast on the Healing Club with with Bob Morrissey and this uh, Russell Simic. Uh, ah, that's 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 that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man.